Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, July 18th, which means it's Media Monday. I'm joined by Puck boss man John Kelly to talk about the Netflix-Microsoft advertising partnership and whether the software giant might be interested in buying Netflix, which is surfing some troubled waters right now. And we also discuss the NFL. Will Apple win the rights to stream America's most popular sport every Sunday? We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Hey guys, it's Peter. I travel all the time, especially in an election year. And as we all know, what luggage you choose matters. Briggs & Riley is my personal favorite because their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they will repair it free of charge. No proof of purchase needed, no questions asked, even if an airline damages your bag. All features were created to address customer pain points for a better travel experience. They're extremely durable with rigorous testing and premium materials to last for life. And one thing I love, they're supremely smooth, shock-absorbing wheels for easy gliding through your travels through whatever airport you're zooming through. And hot off the press, the Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It's new and improved and just launched on BriggsRiley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. It has the new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, and then compress it to its original size. So a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, and that's just one of the new features. It's available in black, navy, and olive. So check out all the Briggs and Riley offerings at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Happy Monday, everybody. If it's Monday, it's time for a very special episode of Media Monday. I'm joined, as always, by our fearless leader at Puck, John Kelly. Welcome to the show, John. Jeez, Peter, thanks as always for having me. It, it wouldn't be Media Monday without, without us being together. Hey, I want to ask you about this Netflix-Microsoft deal. So basically, Netflix has already said they're going to add like a, a paid advertising tier in, you know, in their efforts to basically make more money. I think their values drop like 70% this yeah, 70%, year or something yeah. insane. How does this work? Like they're partnering with Microsoft and Microsoft, I guess, is going to run their ad sales. Like what, what is this partnership looking like? I don't quite understand it. The big headline in this is um, on one level, they, you know, they've been messaging for months. Reed Hastings has been messaging for months since since the, the quarterly earnings report where Netflix announced that it was it had lost a couple of million subscribers, that its its growth was no longer vectoring up and to the right as it had been for really a, a decade. That one immediate lever they could pull to use the the parlance of um, the financial service industry that's available to Netflix is to open this ad supported tier. Which they, you know, they had sort of abnegated forever and, and and thought of as as down market. We forget that Netflix created an entire type of content that that streams ad free. It's so part of the culture now. But it was this, a, to some a sign of weakness, to some a tell of where the industry was headed. Disney has already been exploring this, but at like the very very least, it signaled that Netflix was either going to partner with another company or they were going to try and build this themselves. And in an environment where Netflix is down, you're right here, down 70% in six months, it no longer has that built-in cash to make that CapEx investment. I mean, building out a, an ad-supported business 
is an extraordinary investment in, among other things, technology, the server, just, just to be able to build that and send these ads that are based on algorithms to, to users of every show. So if Netflix is looking for more revenue in the short term, it seemed pretty obvious to me that this is always going to be a partnership play. And there were a number of companies who were initially mentioned as potential partners, uh, Comcast being one of them. Microsoft, I think, on some level has made the most sense. Reed Hastings, the co-founder, co-CEO, but you know, really the, the visionary of the company, was on the Microsoft board. Microsoft has been, as of the moment we're taping this, the third largest company in, in the world by market cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apple's like two and a half trillion. Saudi Aramco is like around two trillion. Microsoft, we forget, is is, is not far behind. It's like two trillion or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just two T's, right? And um, and it's been on a on a buying spree. I mean, it it. it it just bought Activision Blizzard for like $70 billion. So the big headline here, before we even get to like what this means, is people are going nuts that this is the first step in a potential Microsoft acquisition of Netflix that would obviously Whoa. be uh, contested by the DOJ or pres- I should say presumably be contested. You know, this is the natural sort of media overreaction to planning the wedding after the first date. You know, I think that the timing of this on the heels of the Sun Valley Conference, where I'm sure Dylan is still holed up somewhere in the lodge, mm-hmm. um, is such that maybe both sides are preserving their optionality, another great financial <laughs> services phrase, and um, and seeing how this works. But indeed, this is going to give Microsoft a lot of insight into Netflix's business, given that it's going to have the ability to pipe these ads. Why does Microsoft want Netflix? You know, to, to be fair, I guess we, we don't know that yet, but here is one theory yeah. if, if you're going to be a little conspiratorial. All these ginormous tech companies in the last half decade or maybe really decade have actually, under the hood, they look very different and they go, and they go in different directions. You know, Apple is nominally a, a hardware company, but it's also pivoted in the, in the Tim Cook era to being a recurring revenue services business. You know, Apple's secret sauce now is that you and I are paying X number of dollars a month to have the ability to listen to Apple Music. And that footprint is growing. Meta and Google are in hardware and many other lines of businesses now, but they're largely, you know, in 88% of the advertising of the global advertising market. Google is more diversified in its other businesses, but Microsoft under its hood has the recurring revenue of the B2B office suite you know, it created the SaaS business, which we've, we've talked about, you know, on the show before. It, it, you know, Microsoft Office, Clippy, all that stuff is completely uh, uh, necessary in global business. But in recent years, as its hardware business didn't quite work, it bought Nokia, didn't work out. Steve Ballmer tried to, was late to the phone. Remember, famously made fun of the iPhone, but seemed to miss that pretty objectively. Has they've doubled down on products like LinkedIn, Xbox. Activision Blizzard. So when I see the Netflix arrangement, and when one does think ahead and and sort of imagine the family here, you wonder if there is a metaverse play that Microsoft is beholding between its various gaming and, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, sort of uh, interactive assets, and Netflix's extraordinary data. I mean, they have 220 million global customers paying recurring revenue, which fits into their recurring revenue philosophy, and also their ability to make the assets that Activision Blizzard has and also, you know, the Xbox family, that these are all like incredibly potent to combine. So I have a feeling that there's metaverse optionality there in a way that could be pretty powerful to unlock. But like that, that is many steps down the road. 
Yeah, many steps down the road until we have uh, microchips behind our eyeballs that let us watch uh, Stranger Things while we're on the subway. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take, take a quick break, John, and then we're going to come back and talk about another possible deal between two other gigantic companies that live large in the culture. I'll be right back. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back, everybody. As usual, Media Monday, uh, John and I bogart uh, Dylan's media reporting, uh, which is what we're going to do right now. Let's do it. <laughs> Dylan reported last week, late last week, that Apple was emerging as the leading suitor for NFL streaming rights on a platform. Is that going to happen? Or is this uh, still in the works? Yeah, I think it's the, the, the very, very, very leading suitor. And, you know, Sunday Ticket, which is what's, that's the package that's available, is really an exciting and enticing opportunity for these streamers. I feel like in this kind of brave new world that we're living in right now, economically, where the value of a lot of streaming services have been partitioned, or you know, Disney's the lowest performing stock on the on the Dow. Funnily enough, like the these tech giants are looking at a lot of linear assets as as growth mechanisms. If you and I'm not trying to player hate here, but like when I saw that Apple paid billions for MLS, my eyes flew out of my head. Like the UEFA deal domestically is coming up. That's going to be billions of dollars, maybe five or six billions of dollars. I, I, MLS, I did not think was nearly as valuable, but this is going to, it's a bet that just owning up those uh, rights will, will be a play on cornering the soccer market. So football is in the, the NFL rather has done a good job diversifying its assets. It has Monday night football. It has Sunday night football. It has Thursday night football now. And then the Sunday ticket, which is basically been the sort of sports bar and direct TV owner package is all the out of market games. So like if you wanted to watch the Jets and I wanted to watch the Rams, I, I, I could imagine a scenario in which I, I would never the Rams, but a massive hypothetical thing. It's been on the table. I think the NFL has been excited about dipping its toe in the streaming waters. Um, they know that a lot of their audience is non-coastal and kind of on the secular decline of, of linear. But this, this is an opportunity to get in there. And the money is real. I think initially people thought it was going to be closer to a billion or two billion for the deal. Now, you know, Dylan's saying it's going to be more like three. And I'm not surprised that Apple is the contender. Eddie Q, who runs this line of business for Apple, is a sports nut. He's a, he's a, a Duke nut. Um, I'm sure you have thoughts on that. And 
there's just no doubt that this fits into Apple's strategy of, you know, they have a baseball package now, soccer, you're going to get into football. And then one day, it's hard to imagine how any of these linear assets could outbid an aggressive streamer. And um, the NFL is going to, you know, is sort of plotting for that future. This is a huge opportunity for Apple. Uh, I mean, like the amount of friction that exists to watch your team if you live out of market is insane. Like it's $300, for an NFL Sunday ticket and like tons of people cannot pay for that. That is a lot of fucking money. <laughs> yeah. And so like, hopefully Apple or whoever obtains these rights can like, even if they're paying a lot for it, can like bring the cost down incrementally just a little bit. Or like, instead of subscribing to NFL Sunday ticket, they can come up with some sort of package where I can watch the Bengals and the Commanders, you know, but like, I don't, I don't have to also pay, be paying for <laughs> like yeah. a Texans Cardinals game or something that I don't care about. And so I hope somehow this makes it easier for viewers and fans to consume the content here. But it also means that like, yeah, a lot of people would sign up for Apple. I mean, that's a very simple right. proposition here. But this is on the heels of the NFL doing a deal with Amazon. Like they, Amazon has Thursday night football, right? They do. They have a, I think they have a co-production of Thursday night, you know, which is usually the worst game of the week. Um, it usually is like <laughs> the Texans against the Jets or whatever. Um, in fact, I yeah, think yeah. one year it was the, the winless Browns against the winless Jets as the first Baker Mayfield start. Anyway, um, <laughs> what a nightmare. And Amazon also has a version of Sunday Ticket for Baseball, which I know because I uh, inadvertently ordered it when I cut the cord to find out that I can watch any team but the Yankees, which is actually not as fun to do when you live in the New York area and, <laughs> and your team is playing 162 games and you can't watch any of them. So there are, there are limits to this. But here is, I think, the, the big sticking point that's going to be fascinating to watch. The entire dynamic that we're seeing playing out in the entertainment industry now is between these legacy hegemons who created these incredible assets you know, from shows like Friends to Shark Tank to Paramount's 100 years of incredible motion pictures, and they leased them out for years uh, to Netflix, allowed Netflix to grow, and then have spent the last couple of years trying to take it back. Disney was the first to sort of you know, take back their, um, their assets here. And you have to wonder if the NFL and the other sports are doing the same thing where they're obviously maximizing their short-term profit by selling these rights in a diversified way to as many distributors as possible. But the NFL, the world's most unlikely 501c3, at least by, by my reckoning, <laughs> has the ability to broadcast all of these assets on its own platform and have NFL Plus. It already has a, a, a sort of second tier media company that, that caters to gamblers and always on people who are focused on, on you know, pre-combine workout stuff. If you were a private equity executive looking at this, you'd say, okay, why don't we take out a large amount of money, invest, billions in building out our tech or you know, doing what Disney did and just buying you know, BAM tech or a company like that. And when our contracts eventually end, we're going to broadcast all of our games and have our sports network and apparatus and maybe even a, a potential partnership with a gaming book like Caesars. And we're going to have NFL Plus. It's going to be necessary for any sports fan to have. And we're going to price it at a reasonable amount. And, and like, we don't need you, Apple and Amazon. So the question for me is, and this is like a 10-year question, but who bends first? Does someone offer the NFL more money than they could possibly refuse? Or does the NFL reclaim their value on their own turf? And I think actually it'll, it'll come down to the makeup of the ownership in a decade or so. The NFL is going through a transition of where older owners and traditional you know, family ownership are, are giving way to a newer self-made 
generation. And I, I think we've seen that in the NBA and, and the ownership's gotten so much smarter and, and the league has become so much more profitable as a result. So anyway, that's that's the long-term view. Um, John, before I let you go, I want to tell you a funny sports broadcasting story that took place here in Venice, California, USA the other day, which is I was walking Boone, the dog, uh, and walked past a woman who was walking her dog here in Venice. And I was like, oh, this is Boone. And they were like sniffing each other. And she goes, oh, this is Howard Cosell. <laughs> and this is like a, like a 50-year-old woman living in Venice who had like a little wiener dog named Howard Cosell. And I like burst out laughing. And part of this is because I'm just like a history dork and love the history of media and, you know, read all the great boxing books, et cetera. I was like, I might be the only person on the west side of LA who knows who Howard Cosell is and gets the reference. Um, so anyway, there is a wiener dog walking around Venice in LA named Howard Cosell. So if you see Howard Cosell, say what's up. Yeah, well, I'll make sure we do. I do. It's a perfect name for a dog, I got to tell you. And, and Howard Cosell <laughs> sort of looks like, may he rest in peace, a bit of a schnitzel himself. But anyway. <laughs> um, all right, John, have a great weekend. Uh, you too, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 